Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome back America's gut doctor, Dr. Vincent Pedre. I think as we come out of this pandemic, I think one of the very important conversations has to circle around inflammation. Because inflammation is the common denominator to every disease in the body. And how do we lower inflammation? And one of the ways that we lower inflammation is by not eating. It's not just by what we eat, it's by when we don't eat. I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Howdy, Keto Camper. I hope you're doing incredible today. I am so grateful to bring back Dr. Vincent Pedre, medical doctor, brilliant health practitioner. And on this episode, we talk all about ketones and the gut microbiome. Look, there are some studies out there that show keto, the keto diet can actually cause some gut dysbiosis. But is that the full picture? Well, we reveal a brand new study that just came out that shows an incredible, profound benefit from ketones in the gut. So Dr. Pedre is gonna take a deep dive into that. We're gonna talk about why it's important to use fasting, intermittent fasting, block fasting, variations of fasting to reset and heal the gut and why eating every two to three hours, eating high carbohydrates is a surefire way to wreck your gut and lead to leaky gut. We also talk about my carnivore experiment. Dr. Pedre actually came to Keto Camp HQ for this recording. He was down here in Miami Beach and I said, hey, why don't we record a podcast? So he drove to Keto Camp HQ. Turns out I'm just about 15 minutes away from his Miami place. So we filmed this in-house. The audio is exceptional because we both had our mics on, headsets on. So we filmed this in-house and then During the interview, I shared with Dr. Pedre that I was actually in the middle of my carnivore experiment. I believe I was on day 17 or 18 during the interview, and I shared with him that I didn't have any autoimmune flare-ups. My Raynaud's was at bay. You know, my Raynaud's was calm. I was not getting any flare-ups. I was feeling so much better. And he had an interesting perspective to why he thought that was. Why was I getting benefits with autoimmune from Carnivore. He's going to lay out his thought process. If you want to listen to the first episode that Dr. Vincent Pedre was on the Keto Camp podcast, that's going to be episode 127. On that episode, we talked about immune health and the digestive system. What are these specific foods that poke holes in your gut, leading to leaky gut, causing a weakened immune system? We recorded that during the quarantine, so it was really relevant, but it's still relevant to this day. So I will put a link for that episode in the notes of this podcast. Go listen to it after this podcast recording. I would love for you to take a screenshot of this episode right now on your phone 
and then post that on Instagram. I love when you do that. When I see it, I'll share it on my stories and tag Dr. Pedre as well. So my Instagram handle is at TheBenazadi and at KetoCampOfficial. And Dr. Pedre's is at Dr. Pedre. Dr. Pedre is the author of Happy Gut, which we talk about on the first episode and a little bit about as well on this episode. So I'll put a link for his book in the notes of this podcast and any of the resources we mentioned, you'll find in the notes of this podcast. I wanna take a minute here to share the Apple review of the day. This is a five-star review from Angelica, who turns out to be a Keto Camp Academy member. Here is what Angelica wrote about the Keto Camp podcast. I'm so glad I found you and this podcast. I joined the Keto Camp Academy and can't wait to start. You explain it so clearly that most people like me can understand this process of healing our body so we can heal ourselves by reducing inflammation and being able to lose weight safely. You have so much knowledge. I love you and I feel very blessed to have found you. Thank you for sharing and spreading your knowledge with all of us. Gratitude, Angelica. Angelica, I love you right back and I'm so grateful to have you in the Keto Camp Academy and to coach you now and hold your hand and guide you to the great land of ketosis and what I call perfect health. I wanna thank you, Angelica, for leaving that rating and review. It really does help the show grow. It is oxygen to podcast shows. So for those of you listening right now, please, if you haven't done so already, leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I wanna encourage you to head over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash ketocamp, if you wanna watch the video version of this interview with Dr. Pedre. We actually live stream this, so it could be found back on my YouTube channel on the video feed. Go to youtube.com slash ketocamp to check that out. Okay, let's welcome back the amazing, the brilliant, Dr. Vincent Pedre. Dr. Pedre is the medical director of Pedre Integrative Health and president of Dr. Pedre Wellness. Dr. Pedre is a board-certified internist and functional medicine certified practitioner in private practice in New York City since 2004. Dr. Pedre is a sought-after speaker and writer on sustainable health, prevention, and integration in functional medicine. All right, everybody. I'm excited to do a podcast interview with my friend, Vincent Pedre, Dr. Vincent Pedre, who is the author of this fabulous book right here. I know it's backwards or sideways on Instagram, but it's The Happy Gut. And this is a phenomenal book to understand how the gut works. What are some foods to heal the gut? And we did a full interview on this, uh, episode 127 of the Keto Camp podcast, where we talked about the immune system and the digestive system and what's the relationship there. Today, Dr. Pedre is here in beautiful Miami, Florida, where he spends part of the year, and he's at Keto Camp HQ. So thank you for coming by. Absolutely. What a pleasure to be here with you. I'm excited, man. I'm glad we connected. So hello, everybody on Instagram and, and YouTube. And I have to say, this is this is my first podcast that I've ever done in person. Wow. With someone. I'm so, honored to be that so person. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get this started. I would love to start with the problems that can happen and I see it all the time, when you're eating too frequently, that standard American diet every two to three hours, what's the issue with that? There are several issues. First of all, from the perspective of the gut, you're not giving your gut that time that it needs to rest in between meals. 
And when I say that is that after every meal, there is a little bit of a postprandial, what we call endotoxemia. And that can vary by the types of foods, the types of fats that you're eating. But there always is a little bit of postprandial endotoxemia, and it can be worsened if you have leaky gut, which we'll talk about. When you don't eat, you reduce that endotoxemia. So you're allowing, you're giving space for the body to be able to do kind of its cleanup work to reduce inflammation, to be able to rebalance itself. And we also know that when you eat excessively, we're eating too frequently in our modern lives. Even if you look historically at the number of meals that people ate 50 years ago compared to now, mm -hmm. like it's used to be, you know, just three meals a day. And now it's like five, six meals per day. You're not giving your body that time to allow your blood sugar to drop, to allow your insulin levels to drop, to allow that internal balance to happen that improves the, your sensitivity to very important hormone, insulin. Now, interestingly, it's also related to the gut microbiome. So there is a circadian rhythm to your gut microbiome. And I've looked at studies with this where they see that there are different phyla or different groups of, of gut bugs that are active at different times of day. Mm. And they thrive through by having a rhythm. And if you disrupt that rhythm by eating at odd hours every day, like changing the time, one day you have lunch at 11 in the morning, another day at one, then you eat at, you don't eat till three, that can really disrupt that. And also when you go through like people who travel across time zones and you're changing the hours that you eat, that can throw off that internal circadian rhythm. So it's it, when you're eating too many meals, you're not allowing that rest period that is necessary for the body to be able to hit kind of like the, the reset button in between. And we're not meant to be under an influx of calories mm -hmm. continuously throughout the day. And I know that was the lore back in like the 80s, 90s, like the way you lose weight or also like yeah. in, the, in the weight building world, the way you gain weight is you have to constantly eat throughout the day. And even that is shifting in that world where they're realizing that you eat discrete meals and in between you give your body that rest and we can tie it into many levels, but so important for the gut to have that moment of fasting so not just intermittent fasting, but the fasting that happens in between meals is really important. And during that time, your body does some cool things like make ketones that sharpen your brain. You know, and that's, that's a whole other message for a society where a lot of these meals are meals that are high in sugar, high in refined carbohydrates. Or if you're eating snacks in between meals, they might be pretzels, they might be crackers, mm -hmm. they might be a pastry, you know, so we need to reshape, you know, it's great that you're asking this because uh, I think as we come out of this pandemic, I think one of the very important conversations has to circle around inflammation because inflammation is the common denominator to every disease. Right in the body. And how do we lower inflammation? And one of the ways that we lower inflammation is by not eating. It's not just by what we eat, it's by when we don't eat. 
Well said. And when you practice a low carb or even a ketogenic diet, it makes it easier to not have to eat every two to three hours because you're not spiking that glucose and insulin. So it's not going to dramatically drop, which is going to result in you wanting to have a handful of almonds or even something worse than that. I have a colleague, his name is Dr. Don Klum. And he did a survey on uh, hundreds of patients to see how many times per day are these patients eating. And his definition was anytime you raise glucose and insulin, right? So any kind of snack. And the answer was 17 to 21 times per day was the average. So they were in this constant fed state, like you just said. A lot of people have this thought process that I need food to give me energy to get through my day. Can you talk about how much energy is produced just to process food and how it's actually taking energy away from you? Yeah, actually, um, digestion is one of the most energy intensive processes. And liver detoxification is also very high energy process. And everything that you eat, everything that you're exposed to. So if you're eating processed foods that are full of additives, when that gets absorbed into your body, it goes through the liver circulation. And it first goes through the liver to get filtered and the liver has to work out all of the substances. You know, it's constantly detoxing the body, but that process is very energy dependent. And also breaking down food is very energy dependent as you people may know when they eat a really big meal and then suddenly they feel really tired. Right, yeah. The, like they the, have to lie down. The food coma, right? Exactly. I, I always say nobody eats a huge meal and then they're like, oh, I want to go get some work done, right? It's the complete opposite. So continue. Yeah, exactly. So we were talking about how, how energy intensive the process is. And it's even more, you know, what's interesting is uh, with what's going on in the world in terms of our understanding of what true health is and how it's been adultered by a Band-Aid-led system of Western medicine that is integrally married with the pharmaceutical industry. And when I say that, I'm not saying, you know, there's pharmaceuticals that are life-saving. I, I use them with patients. Antibiotics can be life-saving. Right. But the thing is that our understanding of what creates true health is warped because of this Band-Aid approach to health. And one of the key things that I think is really affecting our digestion is the overuse of anti-acid medications or acid-blocking medications, many of which are available over-the-counter, H2 blockers. We know them as famotidine, as Pepsid, and then there's the proton pump inhibitors. And these are some of the most widely used medications worldwide. And two out of three people report in America that they are suffering from gut health issues. And what happens when you take these medications, you're altering the very entry point, which is really important for setting the tone for the rest of the digestive system. You're, you're altering the pH of the stomach, which needs to be at a certain low pH, acidic pH, so that you can break down protein. Mm -hmm. And once you break down protein, then you get all sorts of messages and signals from those amino acids that trigger other hormones to be released that tell your body, for example, that you are full, mm -hmm. that you don't need to keep eating anymore. So we were talking about how energy intensive digestion is, but also how pH sensitive it is. And people are just not getting nutrition. So they think that they're eating a lot 
but they're not extracting all that they can from this. And it's even harder to get, you know, it's even more energy intensive to extract amino acids from plants than it is from animal mm. protein. Interesting. Perfect for me because I'm doing the carnivore, which we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about. But we're talking about breaking down protein. You said it's it takes a lot more energy and resources to break down plant protein versus animal yeah. protein. In my Keto Camp Academy, where I take somebody who's a pure sugar burner, right? They're eating high carbohydrates. They're doing no fasting. In 28 days, I take them and I put them in ketosis safely. I always recommend having more protein because it helps satiate them, right? Cholecystokinin, peptide yes. YY, all these hormones that you talked about that helps you feel full. However, like you said, if you are not digesting and breaking down that protein, it's not going to really work. So what are some tools and tips you could share to help break down that protein? Well, first of all, let me tell people how would they know if they're not breaking down yes, protein perfect. properly. And a very simple way is say you eat something protein, maybe you eat chicken, maybe you eat beef. And by the way, and I know you preach this, when you're eating protein, like you want to get humanely sourced protein that is hormone-free, antibiotic-free, grass-fed, free-range, wild-caught fish. Like, do not eat factory-raised protein <laughs> because it's going to be full of all the bad fats that you do not want mm -hmm. in your body. But when you eat these proteins, if you feel like you have a sudden feeling of fullness, and that fullness Feel, can feel sometimes the, the patients will use like it feels like my food is like a brick in mm -hmm. my stomach. Or another sign is burping after a meal and it starts immediately after a meal. You get gassy. These are signs that you're not making enough stomach acid. So that protein is sitting in the stomach and it's fermenting, but it's not breaking down how it should. And these, I mean, there can be many reasons, like I said, PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, the, the overuse of, of antacid medications. Antibiotics. Antibiotics will not decrease so much um, acid production in the stomach, but they will affect leaky gut. And then they affect the signaling uh, of the, the release of cholecystokinin, mm. right? But the other thing that affects stomach acid secretion, which is ever-present, and everybody is carrying an element of this right now, is stress. And stress because it affects vagal nerve tone. And it's going to mess up with the signaling from the vagus nerve from the brain to the digestive system. And that signaling controls a whole bunch of things, including the, the secretion of enzymes, the the control of, of stomach pH, and also the permeability of the gut is partially controlled by the vagus nerve. And we know this from people who have suffered hair trauma that within 30 minutes of a concussion injury where you are knocked out, like, like to the point where you're ending up in the hospital with a head injury, within 30 minutes, um, gut permeability starts to increase. And you develop leaky gut and you get very inflamed. Interesting. There are so many researched benefits to having good fat in your diet, but there is just one little problem with all this healthy fat. If you can't properly digest the fat in your diet, chances are you won't feel that great. And a lot of people lack the one key nutrient needed to digest fat. To really get the best results from any diet, whether it's carnivore, paleo, keto, or even vegan, 
I found there are three things that can really help optimize your results. First, enhance your digestion and elimination. Second, boost your cellular energy. And third, rev up your fat burning metabolism. And one of the best aids to a ketogenic lifestyle that I've ever found comes from my friends over at Bioptimizers, and it's called Capex. What Capex does is three things. First, it breaks down the fats you eat into fatty acids using a proprietary lipase and dandelion extract blend. Most people aren't eating a lot more good fat in their diet these days. This means you're breaking down the dietary fat into usable energy and not storing it. Second, they transport those fatty acids into the muscles and in the liver. And they have several ingredients that dramatically increase the fatty acid oxidation inside your mitochondria, both in your muscles and liver. In other words, it's more fuel into your motor and more horsepower for your motor. If you take three to five capsules of K-Pax in the morning on an empty stomach, the energy is incredible. It feels like a cup of coffee and it lasts six to 10 hours and there's no nervous system stimulation. It works incredible as a pre-workout and even without caffeine. It's one of my go-tos when I'm in a fasted state. Now, it won't make up for bad eating or eating lots of excess calories, especially from processed foods and seed oils, but the research shows that it can raise metabolic rate and boost other fat loss hormones. I highly suggest trying it for yourself. And when you go to kenergize.com slash ketocamp, that's K-E-N-E-R-G-I-Z-E forward slash ketocamp, camp with a K, you'll automatically get 10% off any package of Capex with the coupon code KETOCAMP10. That is K-E-T-O-K-A-M-P-1-0. We will also drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. Yeah, that's that vagus nerve connect that gut brain connection. So let's let's stay on the topic of fasting and what fasting does to actually heal the gut and help with leaky gut. What is actually happening when your body actually finally takes a break? Your digestive system finally takes a break. What is the digestive system doing during a fast? Or or even your entire body, but the yeah. when when you fast, it's it's almost like what happens after New Year's in Times Square, right? You had all this confetti fall and Times Square is a mess that all the crowds leave. So imagine Times Square empty and now the cleaners come and they come to clean out all the graffiti and they make everything look nice again. So when you're fasting, it's time for your gut to be able to repair itself. And we know the cellular turnover at the, in the gut lining is very fast. And it requires certain nutrients to be able to function properly, especially one amino acid, L-glutamine. But it's during the time of fasting that your body is able to start to not be distracted by the work of digestion. And it can go into autophagy. So your body, especially if it prolonged fast, like 16 hours overnight fast. And what that means, it's basically when your cells take out the garbage. Mm -hmm. They're looking at the structure of things, proteins, and they're like, oh, this protein is not doing so well. It needs to be. So they just dismantle the whole thing and they take it out. And it's time when your body starts to renew itself. 
So you were talking about autophagy. Autophagy is where your body actually starts to recycle and repair. And yeah. I love the analogy that you just shared about the Times Square. I haven't heard that one before. So your body's actually, now you have all this time and you're starting to clean things up, clean up that graffiti, clean up the sidewalk. And that's what's happening in your gut during a, a fast. And that could start at what point during a fast? Um, that can start within, I mean, that, that starts within at least 30 minutes and that will go on for as long as you're fasting. You know, so the longer the, the fast, the more the cleaning, the cleaning uh, that's going on. And, yeah, there's... And, and, and there has to be, there has to be a rhythm to it. Right. And, and it's, it's interesting because everything in the body has a rhythm. Hormone secretion has a rhythm. Mm -hmm. Everything is meant to have kind of like a peak and a trough. And that's how the body can do all of its processes. And when you take away those rhythms from the bodies, we see people like, for example, whose circadian rhythms are reversed because they're staying up late. Then their cortisol starts getting higher at nighttime. And then they get to the point where they're wired. Uh, they're tired, but they're so wired that they can lay down and their body feels like it wants to go to sleep, but they just can't fall asleep. And then that hyper-wired state, so you're kind of like over-sympathetic, that's kind of a message to your body that it's under alert. And the next thing that happens is your gut stops. It's like, okay, it's not time to digest. It's time to get ready to run. So we're going to put a pause to everything. The person might feel it as constipation. Mm -hmm. Like they're just chronically constipated. They can't go to the bathroom. Their body has lost the ability to self-regulate. And it's because they're partially because they're not activating more the parasympathetic. They're not getting the vagus nerve to fire. Uh, so it's not just fasting. It's so interesting that fasting has always been, if you look uh, in history, fasting was connected to religions. Yeah. Right? Every religious group and, has some form of fasting. And, and it was part of a way to evolve mentally, like to evolve your awareness, your understanding of things, because during fasting, it's like hitting that pause. It's almost to me like um, I, I meditate and I've actually gone back to a lot more meditation during this extended quarantine. Um, that's been one of the, the gifts of the quarantine is, is creating space for things that and I don't know how other people feel. I wonder how, how they feel about that. But I found, and I've talked to a lot of friends about this, that they actually found that it created space for things in their life. But the reason I bring meditation into the picture is because when, when I meditate and I use the breath as part of that, I pause. I do breath holding at the peak of inhalation and I do breath holds at the bottom at the, at once my lungs are empty. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I do box breathing and I change that and I do all sorts of uh, breath holding. To me, the breath hold is the same as fasting for the gut or for the body because it's that moment of stillness that allows for this expansion and this healing to happen when you connect to something uh, greater than yourself uh, but it's almost to me like if you're fasting, then the next logical thing is to incorporate some sort of mindfulness practice that 
activates your parasympathetic nervous system because when you're more in your parasympathetic, uh, you're not going to be so uh, fluctuating like on a roller coaster where you start becoming anxious because you haven't eaten yet mm. and you want to eat your next meal. And anybody who's been on a very carb-driven diet you know what that means. Like you eat one meal, you you rise on that sugar coaster, I call it, and then it starts dropping and your body goes into all these reserve, you know, almost like hits the emergency button. Yeah. And you get your cortisol goes up and it's saying, pump up the blood sugar, it's dropping too fast. And then your insulin kicks in and it's like, eat, because now your insulin's going and you need some carbs. And when you're fasting, you know, and doing it the right way, right, which we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, getting into ketosis, yeah. eating the right amount of fats so that you're kind of like in this even keel state. And then on top of that, to then be able to use that as the wave to enter into mindfulness, into breathing, into nurturing more of that parasympathetic state in our bodies because the it's so important to do that because the parasympathetic state is the state in which we heal from all sorts of diseases. We do not heal in the sympathetic state. And the truth is that in our modern society, we're too much in the, in the sympathetic. Especially this year. And yeah, especially in 2020. And we're not enough in the parasympathetic state. And I, I hope that there's going to be an awakening through this, that to see all the interconnections, you know, between diet and mindfulness and mindset and how we live our lives, that uh, we've been running ourselves ragged for years. I talk a lot about that as well. I love it because you're right. It's about having a proper balance between the sympathetic, which is great because it gives us the energy. It helps us get things done when we need to. Yeah. But then that rest and digest, the parasympathetic. So even doing things like watching funny TV shows every single night, yeah. right? Watching like 30 minutes and getting that oxytocin boost, petting your dog like you were petting my dog here. He was getting nice yeah. and comfortable. These are ways to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. It's finding things that you enjoy doing, the breath work, the meditation, the long walks, you know, whatever you enjoy doing, do more of it. And I agree. I think a lot of people are forced to have more time and they're using that time for things like this. Look, if you find yourself with more time, you can either waste it or you can look at it as a gift and decide how am I going to use this to better myself? You know, even even when you bring up fasting, what if you don't have to think about eating all the time? Right. Such a burden off and, your shoulders. And now you have this space in which you can dedicate to other things, to accomplishing other things in your life or just to being more present. Mm-hmm. I haven't eaten today where it's what, 4.43 p.m. in the afternoon and I worked out today and I went upstairs and did two, two kind of workouts today and I haven't eaten anything, right? Because I knew that I had this interview, I had a lot of work done today, and I wanted to be focused and present because it also takes blood flow away from the brain to digest food, to your gut. So when you're fasted, when I'm fasted, I have that for the task at hand. So I just want to acknowledge some of you on here. Uh, Gloria says she feels better with fasting. Abby says, I feel full without feeling bloated with fasting. 
Deborah says, very much so. Fasting has been great with digestion. So we have Nebraska, we have Florida, Colorado Springs. Maria says, meditation is great. Monica is in Florida as well. We're here in Miami, Florida. And, and Mona, who's in my Keto Camp Academy, is checking in from Sydney, Australia. Oh, awesome. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us today. We, we really appreciate that. So yeah, we talked about ketosis. And uh, the way I teach it in my academy is, let's get you keto adapted first. Because if you don't, if you go into fasting too soon, what I've seen is it's not so fun. It's like you wouldn't be a couch potato for 10 years and then hear about CrossFit and say, I'm going to do a CrossFit workout tomorrow. You're not going to get through it. You're going to feel like crap because like you said, when you have been eating every two to three hours for whatever, 20 years, you've been doing this. You're a sugar burner, which I was myself. And then you go and you say, I'm going to fast tomorrow until noon. The brain is going to send the body intense signals for sugar, for carbohydrates, because you don't have that flexibility to go from burning down your glycogen res- yeah. reserves to your fat store. So it starts with doing some keto, and that's how I teach it. So what are the benefits of keto with combination of fasting for the gut? And then we'll get into that cell study that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, so I think that'll that'll tie us into that that study, which is really fascinating because you know we talked already about the importance of rest for the gut. I think there's so many diets out there that emphasize like what to eat. And we also, you know, the, the missing part of the conversation is not even food. It's not eating, hmm. you know, it's having that, that space. And I was talking about leaky gut. So let's, let's briefly talk about the connection between leaky gut and inflammation, the key connection. So what is leaky gut? So we, we understand that our gut is, is a border that allows for the nutrients that we break down through our digestive process to enter our body. And those nutrients, some of them enter through active transport, minerals, glucose, and stuff. And then we have amino acids and we have fats that come in through all different processes of digestion that are supported by what the stomach does, what the gallbladder does, what the pancreas does. So it's a system that requires a lot of harmony between the different systems. And then, so you want the gut permeability to be just right, but you don't want it to be hyperpermeable. When it becomes hyperpermeable, that's what we call leaky gut. One way that I explain it is imagine that you have a coffee filter and you put coffee grounds in the filter and you put the hot water through. And then on the other side comes this clean um, water that has been infused with the essence of the coffee but none of the coffee grounds. Now imagine that I poke some holes in that coffee filter. And now when you pour the hot water over it, you're not just getting the clean, you know, coffee infused water, but now you're getting coffee grounds in your coffee. And who wants to drink coffee grounds? Well, when you have leaky gut, what's happening is things that are not supposed to get through the gut barrier are getting through. And some of these things are partially digested proteins. And if they're greater than, I think it's about 8 to 12 amino acids in length, they're going to be big enough to provoke an immune response. Then you get something called lipopolysaccharide or endotoxin that comes from gram-negative bacteria in the large intestine. And that is one of the biggest instigators of inflammation in the body. And they found that endotoxin levels tend to rise before the person starts to develop metabolic syndrome, weight gain, obesity. Autoimmune. And well, 
Yes, because um, lipopolysaccharide endotoxin basically activates inflammatory pathways that are found in almost every cell in the body. And we know that they're receptors. So the lipopolysaccharide, so this is the connection between leaky gut and inflammation and metabolic syndrome and diabetes in the body, is the lipopolysaccharide connects to a receptor called toll-like receptor 4. And that receptor is found on immune cells, but it's also found in the liver. It's found in muscle tissue. It's found in the brain. So it's found in a lot of different tissues in the body. And what happens when it binds to that toll-like receptor 4 is that it activates this whole cascade through a pathway called the NF-kappa-B pathway. And that turns on all these inflammatory genes that get expressed inside the cells. So even your brain becomes inflamed. And thus the connection between a sad gut and depression and anxiety in the brain. It's not really a brain issue. It's a gut issue. The gut needs to be fixed and then the brain can be fixed. You have a leaky gut. The other thing that gets leaky is the blood-brain barrier. So your brain becomes more susceptible to all sorts of toxins that come through the food. So now you've got, let's build a typical scenario. You're a person eating the standard American diet. You're eating all sorts of carbs, processed foods, packaged foods. Every two to three hours. Yeah. Uh, maybe soda. And then you get an infection. You go to your doctor. They put you on antibiotics. The antibiotics heal the infection, but at the same time decimates your gut microbiome. Now you've created a trigger for your gut to become leaky. Now your gut becomes leaky. And then, you know, I've seen this with people. You start gaining weight and you don't understand why. You haven't changed anything. You're exercising, you're eating the same, but you're eating the same inflammatory diet. Mm. It's now you, you have changed the environment in your body. So now it's even worse. Now add to that stress, alcohol, uh, you know, all the other things that we deal with and all of those attack the gut and they're like instigators of this leaky gut, which is a direct connection to inflammation in the body. So when you understand that, then you start to understand, and I was talking about this postprandial endotoxemia that has been measured in studies. So after you eat, you have an influx of endotoxin and it can be dependent on the type of meal. You know, it would be really interesting, I know you're doing the carnivore diet, to measure your endotoxin levels yeah. pre and post meal to see, does it make a difference? You know, because I've been in lectures with one of the top uh, functional cardiologists in the country and he did some studies where he showed, and this goes against the carnivore diet, where if you gave somebody, and I don't know if they were, I, have, I don't remember if he was factoring for the type of meat, you know, like well-sourced or not. Right. But if you gave someone a burger with a bun, you saw this big rise in endotoxin level. Now, if you gave them just the burger with broccoli, you did not see the same rise mm. in postprandial endotoxin. But there is a connection, but there still always is a certain rise of inflammation after you eat. And it's going to be worse if you have leaky gut. So healing leaky gut is a very important key uh, part of anybody doing 
any of these diets. And one of the ways that you allow the gut to heal is by not eating, by just giving the gut the break that it needs. You know, if it's constantly working, it's like it's so distracted that it doesn't have time to do the healing work. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm a prime example of this because as a child, I was put on one, two, three, possibly four rounds of antibiotics every year of my teenage years. Wow. And I was eating dairy, bread, wheat, you know, all sorts of inflammatory. We had no concept of what was an inflammatory meat or how meat was raised uh, when I was growing up in my family. And it just wasn't uh, common knowledge. And so I was constantly sick. And it's the same idea. My gut was fighting a war continuously with all the foods and I had leaky gut and my immune system was so distracted that anything that came into my body through my nose, through my airway, through my throat, it didn't have the reserve. So I would get sick whenever somebody was sick around me. You know, it's the same thing. So providing that space, allowing that space for the gut to heal and also taking out, you know, so the other element of this is taking out those inflammatory foods, which I know that, that um, you do and, and that's part of what you preach uh, is so key and important, is like redefining our philosophy of what is the right thing to eat. You know, is it okay to eat a bag of potato chips? You know, <laughs> what does that do for you? Well, it, it doesn't do well for the gut and it doesn't do well for inflammation. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden your cells produce energy. So you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. So speaking of those foods that are inflammatory, in my academy, I talk about their keto foods, but I, I tell the members to avoid them at least for 28 days. So dairy, pasteurized dairy, I tell them to get out of the diet. They could have raw grass-fed dairy. That's okay. Lectins, like a, a, such as um, goji berries, 
and eggplants and tomatoes. I have them get rid of that for 28 days. I have them get rid of actually spinach and almonds because they are higher in oxalates for 28 days and legumes like peanuts and chickpeas. Anything else on that list that you would add, just maybe go 28 days without to see how your body reacts. Um, you did say grains, right? Oh, and grains, correct. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely, well, that's okay. there because we're doing keto, so for yeah. sure. <laughs> just making sure. <laughs> all, all grains, I mean, yeah. whole wheat, all that, because people think that whole wheat is heart healthy and all that, but we're talking mm-hmm. about that, that's included in there. Yeah, we know that, that uh, you know, speaking about uh, leaky gut, that gluten is an activator of the signal within the gut that opens up those connections between the cells that line the gut, that those connections which are called tight junctions, mm-hmm. and they're quite complex because they're multi-protein complexes. But you can think of it as basically these Velcro-like connections that seal the gut. And gluten has been found to activate a molecule that controls the strength of that connection, almost like a dimmer switch, like dimming the lights, like you can make them brighter or dimmer. So gluten will really cause the release of zonulin, mm-hmm. which is that Sounds signal. Sounds like a, like a superhero. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but zonulin is not the superhero you want. It's no, the evil superhero. He's su- actually the it's, evil it's guy. It's the yeah. evil guy. It's the bad guy. And what happens is it loosens the connections between the cells. You get leaky gut. And they found that this happens regardless of whether you have celiac disease, which is about 2% of the population. If you're non-celiac gluten sensitive, like me, which Mm -hmm. is about 10% of the population, I would argue that it's probably more than Mm -hmm. 10% of the population. Or if you are normal, it did not matter if you were normal. You did not get the same degree of activation, but you did get some activation and causes a bit of a change in in gut permeability. So, So yeah, wheat gluten... Uh, would be another important one. Are there any hidden ones? I mean, you have a video on your YouTube channel, which there's a link down below on YouTube for all of his information in his book. It's all down below. You got to go check out Dr. Pedro. He's brilliant, as you can see and hear. What is this never eat this vegetable video? Oh, yeah. Uh, That's a catchy one, right? We're talking about corn. Corn is the source of a lot of hidden sugars. Uh, It's actually corn is used to extract sugars that are used in a lot of other processed foods like yep. dextrose, maltodextrin, high fructose corn syrup, which is uh, was being placed in so many different drinks. But corn, especially in this country, is 95% genetically modified. A lot of it has been modified to be able to withstand the effects of glyphosate, which is a very powerful pesticide that is basically the way its mechanism of action is it chelates minerals. And what that means for for everybody out there, like uh, what is chelation basically means binding. So when you bind a mineral, you chelate it, you have just made it unavailable to the plant. And it uses that to starve weeds of minerals. So it kills off the weeds and this plant has been made genetically robust to be able to withstand the effects of the pesticide. But what happens is, and what they found, is that because the plant is so resistant to pesticide, and yet the weeds are becoming more resistant too, that 
farmers will end up spraying six times the amount of glyphosate on plants than they would otherwise have sprayed if it wasn't genetically modified. Jeez. Not to mention the, you know, just the, the health effects of monoculture. You know, we always uh, talk about the diversity, the importance of diversity for the gut. And we fool ourselves to think that we are going to solve food problems by creating one one plant. I mean, diversity is what creates robustness and resilience within the the evolutionary world. You know, that's why we don't have just one type of bird. We have a huge variety of birds. We have all types of plants. When I traveled to Peru, I was shocked to find out that there are over a hundred different types of corn there. And there are over a hundred different types of potatoes and sweet potatoes. Wow. Like there is this, this huge diversity in food that we don't recognize in the U.S. because we think that corn is just that corn that you get and you don't realize that it can come in all different sizes. It could be different colors. It could be purple. But that is the, the reason that particular food is that one vegetable that you should avoid. And of course, we could argue uh, for that there are other ones too. Soy. Soy, soy is yeah. another big one because it's genetically modified. And it turns out, uh, I did not know this because you thought the U.S. is also a big exporter of soy. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to interrupt this episode real quick and let you know about a product I've been using to reduce inflammation and to get better sleep. When it comes to the CBD space, it is like the wild, wild west. And the company I've discovered is Dr. Phillips Formulations. It is pure, safe, potent, and yes, it's formulated by a doctor. They bring over 20 years of medical experience to their CBD oil. They have a proprietary formulation which combines pure, high-quality ingredients with the knowledge of a board-certified physician. They have tinctures that are internationally certified for non-GMO. And here's what they also have, keto CBD fruit chews. Yes, they are keto-friendly. They taste delicious, and they're a great way to reduce inflammation in the body. If you want to get your hands on these CBD tinctures and keto fruit chews, head over to drphillipscbd.com. That is D-R-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-C-B-D.com. We will also put a link for you in the podcast notes down below. Okay, let's get back to this episode. And for example, export soy to South Korea, and you and you know how big uh, soy is in in Asian culture. So we're getting our genetically modified pesticide laden soy. Well, well if ninety five percent of it is, yeah. And there's different types for- of genetic modifications. So there's another one uh, that is called BT corn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And BT stands for Bacillus thuringiensis, which is a bacteria that naturally grows in the soil. And it produces a toxin that the way it acts is it pokes holes in the digestive system of the insects. So when they eat the corn that has this, it's basically the corn has been designed to produce its own pesticide, kills the insect, but they found that this BT toxin also can poke holes in mammalian cells. So it could trigger leaky gut as well. So, I mean, the crazy and scary thing, I mean, we haven't been able to measure this stuff, but, you know, bacteria, one of the things that they're specialized in doing is just absorbing genetic material 
and then it forms a little ring inside the bacteria and it just starts producing. I mean, we use bacteria sometimes to produce things for us because of that property that they have. Now, we don't know if this is happening, but it would be scary if a genetic modification in corn that can produce a toxin gets absorbed and then used by our, our gut bacteria yeah. and then starts replicating inside our gut. And now you're producing that inside your own gut. I don't want to be the guinea pig for that. No. <laughs> you know, and you know what else is, is really bad about glyphosate and pesticides and herbicides is Stephanie Seneff, who is an MIT researcher, has proven that when you consume herbicides and pesticides, it forces uh, heavy metals even deeper into your tissues. So lead and mercury are deeper into your tissues, even harder to do some heavy metal detoxification. So it's yeah. all bad news. How do we relate this to ketosis? What is keto and ketosis doing for the gut to help the gut heal, to help reverse leaky gut and just help you feel better? Let me bring in that study that just came out in Cell. Yeah. Because uh, I think it's quite relevant. Because uh, when I read online, there's other gut doctors out there saying that ketosis is bad for the gut. You know, and, and I'm always a contrarian, as you know. I try to look for, you know, like, is that really true? Like, I'm always looking for the answers. So they did a study where they took 17 subjects and they put them under controlled environment where their daily calories were controlled as well as their exercise. It was a crossover study. So they wanted to see what happened to the gut microbiome and what effect it had when you went from a high-carb diet, which they did for a month, and then put them on a ketogenic diet. And they took samples, so stool samples, and then they, so the, the interesting thing about this study is then they used mice to monitor what would happen in terms of inflammation in the body. So they fed the mice the different microbiomes. They duplicated and these would mice. Be, these would be germ-free mice. So okay. they took the, the microbiome, the gut microbiome from these subjects that did the diet and then they fed it to these mice to see what would happen to inflammatory markers inside the mice, what would happen to the, the gut microbiome. And then the mice were divided into groups. Uh, one was fed low-fat diet. The other group was fed a high-fat diet with low carbs. And what they found is that once the mice were in ketosis, that it had a favorable effect on the gut microbiome. And what that effect translated it to was a reduction in inflammation. Now, they did another interesting thing in this study. They also gave mice that were not in ketosis exogenous ketones hmm. and to see what happened to the gut microbiome if you did that. Let me guess. They didn't get the same effect when, when it was exogenous. No. No. Actually, the opposite of what you would think. They got the same effect. Really? Yeah. So even while eating carbs, giving them exogenous ketones, it's quite interesting because I know a lot of people try to cheat the whole right, yeah. keto thing with ketones. And look, this is just one study, but it's, it's interesting. The ketones had a similar effect of shifting the microbiome to a more anti-inflammatory microbiome. But the background message is that it's the ketones, it's getting into ketosis that was different. And if they weren't in ketosis, you did not see the shift in the microbiome that reduced inflammation and became a more anti-inflammatory microbiome. 
Really fascinating. Yeah, I want to put the study uh, in the notes of the podcast. Um, I hope you all are listening to this. This is fascinating. Uh, okay. And this is, fre- I mean, this is off the presses. Dude, last month. This is just yeah. like a month ago. Yeah. So you're the, you, you guys are the first to hear this. I haven't done an interview since. Uh, I love it. Yeah. First, the keto campers. <laughs> all right. So, so let's talk about some of the your favorite foods that are keto friendly, since the keto campers are mostly keto, that help heal the gut. What are your favorite keto foods for the gut? Oh, I'm going to put things like olive oil in there. I mean, for so many benefits, like they found that consuming high amounts of olive oil actually had a beneficial effect on cholesterol that was comparable to taking an, a, um, a statin. A statin. Oh, interesting. And the other uh, food that, I mean, foods that are favorites of mine, and of course, it depends on whether you have a sensitivity to them or not, or if you have SIBO, uh, you might not be tolerated be able to tolerate higher amounts of these foods. Uh, but avocados are high up there. Fatty fish also. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of game meats, which are not as fatty, but I just love game meats because they're more anti-inflammatory than domesticated animals. But also nuts and seeds. Those which are, are your favorite? My, my your favorite favorites. nuts and seeds. Which is which are the, your like, favorite versus the worst? Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, this depends on whether... In, in general. In general. Yeah. And yeah. it also depends on whether you have a, you know, because there are all sorts of people who have allergies right. or sensitivities to different nuts. And it also depends on how they're produced. Yeah, roasted, not roasted, organic. Yeah. Or sprouted or yeah. not not sprouted. And that can even come into like nut butters, like you can have sprouted nut butters. Right. Uh, but sprouted almonds. Mm-hmm. I have a weak point for cashews, which I know are not as... They're a little more carb-rich than regular nuts. Because they're a fruit, technically. Yeah. 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 And hazelnuts mm-hmm. also. I'm a big fan of hazelnuts. And I also love uh, things like hemp seeds. Mm-hmm. Me too. And uh, ground-up chia seeds. So these are the types of things that I will make in a smoothie when I'm making um, a smoothie sometimes in the morning. And then I won't eat for like four or five hours. So I'll, I probably won't eat again until like one or two. Awesome. I want to talk about my carnivore experiment. Uh, I decided to do with some of the members of my academy, the month of June is carnivore. We're just having animal products, no fruit, no, no plants, no vegetables. The first seven days, I was kind of up and down with my energy levels. I was making that transition. After day five, felt so much better. Uh, on day seven, I started to incorporate eggs, Uh, cheese, and a little bit of some honey, okay? And it made a big difference for my workout. But for me, I have Raynaud's, which is autoimmune, and because most of my life I was not healthy. So I have Raynaud's, autoimmune. My hands are really cold, or when I eat a meal, they're really hot to the point where they get inflamed, where I have to kind of remove my finger off and put it here because they get so hot. And what has been happening before I went to carnivore is that every time I would eat a meal, I would get that effect where my hands would get really inflamed. It would happen every single day since like last October. So when I went carnivore, I haven't had, I actually had one flare up this past Saturday. That's it out of 22 days. So my question to you is this, I think, and you could kind of give me your feedback. uh, My thought process is when I'm eating the vegetables, when I'm eating the fruit, it's creating an insulin response. And that insulin is stimulating my immune system. And for me, it's resulting in the inflamed fingers. Now that I'm doing carnivore, I'm not really getting a glucose or insulin response. I'm having just protein and fat 
and I'm not getting that response. Can I, can I ask you a question, Phil? Yeah. Because uh, I know there's different ways you could do carnivore. Um, so my question is, are you incorporating organ meats I'm in your carnivore? I'm supplementing diet? with it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I think that's important because then you're you're getting a broad spectrum of essential minerals by doing that. You're right. That the right way to do it is nose to tail. I just don't like yeah. to. I can't really stomach all that stuff. So I'm eating like I'm eating some. I also ask because I don't know that I could like, <laughs> eat so eat I, heart and eat liver. And so I I ordered from U.S. Wellness Meats, right? So we got this whole, huge order. Me and my girlfriend of of chicken hearts the other day, and we just feasted on chicken hearts. So I'm okay with that, but liver and all that. I get it from supplementation. So every day I am supplementing with it. I'm doing it at a good okay. dose. So yeah, technically I am getting all the, vin- the minerals I'm, in that. I'm going to present that there is possibly another backdoor reason. Yeah, I want to hear it. Why? Tell me. Um, and I think it's because you get butyrate production from being on a carnivore diet, which we always argue that you need to be eating starchy... Um, fiber-rich carbs right? Uh, because those fibers, which are resistant starches, get processed by your gut microbiome and produce butyrate. Right. And we know that butyrate is a very potent regulator of inflammation in the body. It's a powerful anti-inflammatory, but it also controls insulin sensitivity mm. and improves insulin sensitivity, lowers insulin levels. So I wonder if partly... Um, you're getting such an influx of butyrate from a carnivore diet. And I don't know. I need to do more research on it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And see, because it goes against, you know, in many ways, it's like, okay, but we always teach like we should be plant-based. Mm-hmm. And for me, plant-based, I'm not vegan or vegetarian. It just means it's you're plant-based the, the with meat. Right. Yeah. And I think that that is partly the argument in a lot of the camps why when they think of a ketogenic diet, they're thinking like very high fat and no vegetables, you know, and that they, they say, well, that's very inflammatory for the body. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what your blood tests yeah. uh, show before and after. And we were talking, so maybe the next time you do this, you'll do a pre and post gut microbiome test yeah. to see what, you know, what shifts happen in the microbiome. And obviously when you're doing carnivore, which is keto, you're also eating well-sourced meats. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think there might be a backdoor to Interesting. it. It's not just the not eating something. It's that you're producing butyrate through a different mechanism. Yeah. It's an inter- interesting thought process. And I'll be curious to see my blood work as well. And uh, what I'm going to do is when I, when I break the carnivore diet, I'm going to start introducing one food at a time, right? Maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start incorporating a sweet potato and see how I react. It's kind of like... Let, let, can I give you another yeah, idea? Tell me. What, what you should do. You should get a continuous blood glucose monitor. I think they do 14-day they do ones. So maybe you could do one for the last couple of days of the carnivore diet. And then as I start breaking it, see and how And then as happens. you start breaking it, see what happens to your blood sugar afterwards. Or I, could just I mean, you may, be so, you may be so adapted... Like I'm sort of kind of go, I, I have just developed my own <laughs> program for myself, uh, which could be going into ketosis in the middle of the day, but then coming out of ketosis. But yeah, then that's I've, how I usually then am, I, by the way. Then I've been surprised where like I didn't want, there was a morning when, the, and I, I did this several mornings where I didn't want to fast 
before I went into the office and I wanted to draw my blood anyway. And I was shocked to see that my blood sugar was like 80. And I had eaten like a normal breakfast. That's sometimes, great. sometimes with some very high fiber gluten-free bread. And thus I was really surprised. But I think when you become metabolically flexible, your body can just keep your blood sugar yeah. down. So I only say that because I'm curious if your body will be able to handle the load and it won't even cause a bump in your Yeah, blood that, sugar. that's interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely metabolically flexible as well, but I'm curious to see how my body will react now that I'm doing 30 days of just protein and fat. So yeah, that's a good and idea. By the way, that's a really great tool for anybody listening. I mean, it's not... A, easy to get or you need a prescription. And a CGM a times, you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, like a continuous blood glucose monitor. But it's a really, really important tool if you're, if you're just trying to figure out, like, is the way that you're eating good for you? That is good, hard data. You can argue with anything else, but you can argue with data when you see what your blood sugar is when you do certain things. Or you might even realize that your blood sugar rises towards the end of the day because you're really high, highly stressed. At yeah, work. I was going to make that point. Exactly. What, what just yeah, a negative the, thought would do to your blood sugar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's great data. I agree. And you could see if a meal agree with you or not. You can see right after the meal, one hour after the meal, two hours, hours after the meal, there's an optimal numbers to hit. We want to see your glucose drop down. Well, first of all, you don't want it to go over 120 an hour after a meal. And then two hours after a meal, you want to go back below 100 as the optimal ranges. I will, I will say, actually, I, I wanted to tell you that. So pre-quarantine, uh, I was traveling a lot and managing a lot of things. And, and I had kind of, and in the winter is usually kind of tougher for me. So I had succumbed to some of my cravings, like 10 PM cravings. <laughs> and then I went into quarantine and decided, you know what, I'm going to start intermittent fasting and I'm going to go for, you know, since I'm not doing it, my first goal was let me get to 12 hours, you know, and I was before that I was doing like once a week, like I would do 14, uh, 15, 16 hour fast, but only once a week. Just water. Yeah. Just, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I decided, let me see if I can switch this and not have that snack. Obviously being very conscious of what I ate for dinner and making sure that it had the right proportion of fat so that I wouldn't be hungry, but also not being so stressed. Meditating. And it, my initial bridge actually was drinking uh, some sort of calming tea in that 10 p.m. mark. So maybe it was kava tea mm. and I might have put a little bit of honey in it. And that was like the first transition because a lot of people, what you don't realize is that eating is not always a requirement. A lot of times it's a habit. Mm, yeah, totally. And it becomes a psychological habit. Like it's 10 p.m. and you start feeling like I need that snack. But do you really need it? Or is your body going to just like break down <laughs> if you don't have that snack? Well, and the, I mean, I'm saying this because this is kind of like the thought process that I, I go through. And so I did, my transition was having a calming tea. And then after a week or two, I was like, you know, I don't think I need that. And then I would just stop eating dinner. And then my next meal wasn't until the next day. Mm. And my sleep got really great. Wake up in the morning, like 
almost right before my alarm goes off. Like everything changed. Just from that switch. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, testimonial. Great testimonial right there. Uh, I want to take some time here as we're running out of time. What time is it? Yes. Let's um, get into these questions here. So I'm going to start with Ola Bunmi, who says, how long do I have to fast for weight loss? What do you think? What's a good sweet spot, like a general rule of thumb for a fasting schedule? Mm. That's always a tough one. And, and I think it can be different for men and women. I think the key, the real key, if you're looking to lose weight, is that the body accommodates to anything that you do for an extended period of time. So you want to switch it up. And maybe you're doing a 12-hour fast one day, then the next day you do a 14-hour fast. Maybe you're going to a 16-hour fast and you keep switching it up the same way that you're not going to do the same workout all the time mm -hmm. because if you do, your body gets Plateau. used to it and you're not going to keep building muscle. You've got to keep shaking it up and the same thing with your diet. Yeah, I, I love that analogy. I give it all the time. When you look at a good personal trainer or a good coach, they're always changing up the client's workout to keep that client to get results, continue to get results. So there you yeah. go. And, and I would also add to that, focus on health. Focus on the foods that we're talking about that heal the gut, reducing inflammation. And as you do so and you find that sweet spot for your fasting schedule, as you do so, then the body will lose weight as a side effect. So let's see, Keto Campers, we have some more questions. Margie says, what's the best uh, plan to relieve constipation? Ooh, yeah, that's always a tough one because uh, that is connected to the balance of sympathetic, parasympathetic, like we were talking about. And uh, for women, uh, that can be really tough because of estrogen dominance, and that tends to cause more constipation. Uh, but things like a lot of the tools I use are magnesium, like magnesium citrate, exercise, getting out and doing cardio exercise. That's really... Oh, cardio. Interesting. Yeah, that's really helpful. And of course, stress management, like getting into that parasympathetic state and finding the right balance of uh, foods. You know, here we're talking about like the importance of, of fiber uh, so in someone with constipation, maybe they're not getting enough fiber in the diet and they need to increase their fiber intake, but also developing a rhythm to the eating and being kind of regular with it and not eating throughout the day because that confuses the, the digestive system. So you, the digestive system, we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, you need to give it a rhythm. Yep. And if you're eating continuously throughout the day, then you're going to confuse your digestive system. It's not going to know when it's time to rest and digest and move. It's constantly going to be in a receiving mode where it's like, okay, we've got to... Yeah, we're not designed that this. way. No. Awesome. Great tips there. So Monica Lucas, keto camper, says, I did carnivore and had a CGM on. My blood sugar was high during the night. What do you think about mm. that? Yeah. Uh, uh, t one question that comes up is, you know, was the biggest protein meal at nighttime? And for women in particular, sometimes eating too high protein, the body will start converting protein into sugar. You know, so there's different pathways that protein can can go. So I wonder if that's what was happening with her. And maybe yeah. she was eating, maybe for you, for your particular makeup and body, uh, you're not supposed to eat too high protein all at once uh, because it will be moved into uh, sugar production. 
Yeah, maybe you were not even breaking down the protein properly like we talked about. So are, are there yeah. some things you could take to help break down protein? Betaine HCL. There you go. Uh, with some pepsin. You can also take gentian root uh, as a way to stimulate uh, stomach acid secretion and bile secretion. Yeah. Uh, so there's different, you can take digestive bitters as well. Yep. You can even just very simply just put some apple cider vinegar, a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar in a cup of water and drink that before a meal. So there's different hacks yeah. to improving stomach acid secretion and digesting protein better. Yeah, there's also uh, just by smelling rosemary, thyme, and um, I think it's oregano, it stimulates those stomach acids and bile production just by smelling it. So if you have essential oils or if you don't have to consume it. But yeah, and then that. putting some lemons and limes on your on your protein. I know that's not carnivore, but uh, that could also help uh, you break it down. Yeah, some even more. just putting some acid. Yeah, exactly. It. Okay, let's get to another question here. Okay, so NRC for Christ says, is it good to have a daily intake of homemade raw goat's milk kefir? It helps digestions big time. Any comments? Yeah, I mean, this is on an individual basis, right? So one thing that I teach people is to develop an, an inner intuition, you know, uh, to really tune into their own wisdom around what are the right foods for them and what are the wrong foods for them. Because raw goat's milk kefir may be good for you, but it may not be so good for the next person. And it falls within, you know, people don't have as high reactions. So the most reactive, the most um, antigenic type of food is pasteurized dairy, cow's dairy. Goat's milk falls lower down in that category, uh, but and I'm sure you know the answer to this. Which, a, a one, a two, is that what you're yeah, referring to? Because yeah. the a two difference, because goat's milk is more similar, the casein is more similar a2. to human human casein. But the so, so the it's, one, it's very similar to breast milk, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but the one that is most similar, um, you probably know this, uh, which camel? Animal, yeah. Yeah. Camel milk. That's right. Uh, so camel milk, which is not cheap to get. But, <laughs> it sounds weird too. But. <laughs> and it sounds weird to drink. They drink it in the Middle East. Uh, but camel milk is the closest to human breast milk and is actually very big in the autism community as a way to help heal kids with autism who have uh, multiple food sensitivities because it's anti-inflammatory and it actually helps uh, improve insulin secretion. Interesting. Um, but again, it's very individualized. And yeah, I mean, I like that it's raw, that it's uh, goat milk and it's kefir. So kefir, And it seems to be working for you. Yeah. And kefir has already, when it's been fermented like that, it's reduced the amount of lactose within the milk. So it makes it easier, the digestion. And I actually used grass-fed kefir-like milk, actually, from, from Sweden, I think it was, when I was recovering from parasites earlier this year. And normally mm. I wouldn't drink dairy, but intuitively I just had this sense that I needed kefir to get my gut back into order post-parasites from having been to Africa and Mexico. And I and was right. Listen, and you listened to the And body. I was right. And yeah. I did the opposite of what normally I don't have any cow's dairy. Um, very rarely. In the summer, I will. And especially if it's like a raw cheese. But so again... So other than that, you don't a, even have any other cheeses? Not during the fall, winter, spring. Yeah. So I have a seasonal diet. So I'll eat dairy now in, in the summer months. But it'll mostly be like goat's milk, sheep's milk, uh, cheeses. Mm -hmm. 
and not really cow's dairy. And then I cut all dairy out almost completely in the winter, fall, winter, spring. And what I found by doing that seasonality in the diet, and I've done this with patients, is that I don't even know that spring allergies are happening unless there is a really high pollen count and I feel it in my eyes. Hmm. That's the only, I don't get the respiratory stuff. That's huge right there. And I love that you just, you, you teach your patients and yourself to have this intuition with the body. because yeah, But also to realize that there is some flexibility within the dogma, you know, not to say, well, I never eat cheese. Well, I love cheese. So I wanted to figure out, is there a time of year when, when I can enjoy it? And it's now in the, in the summer months. But I think it's important to really understand your body, take the information that's out there and use it as a guide, but then understand that there will be some individuality to the way that you guide your diet. And the only way to know that is by tuning into yourself. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I'd love to close on that because the, a lot of the information we share, it's very difficult for us to give you the exact specific requirements that you need as a biochemical individual. So we're sharing yeah. with you some of the research, some of our experience, uh, some of the general rules to follow, and then you start experimenting and see what works for you. And it could be completely opposite from one of the things that are working for uh, Dr. Pedre or, or for myself. So I love that you shared that. And uh, I would also like for you to share with them where they could find your work and some of the things that you're doing right now. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Dr. Vincent Pedre. I do a Facebook Live every week, Saturday mornings at 10.30 in the morning. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. I'm very active there. I know you see me there at, yeah. at, at Dr. Pedre. And you can check out more about Happy Gut and the different programs that we have by going to happygutlife.com. Go check out his book. Go listen to episode 127 of the Keto Camp podcast where he first came on the podcast. Now this is the second time in just a few months. I love it. This time it's in person. And uh, I really hope you got a lot from this episode. If you could leave the Keto Camp podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcast, it really makes a big difference. And my ethical bribe to you is that if you do leave an honest review on the Keto Camp podcast, take a screenshot of it and email that to ben at ketocamp.com with your shipping address in the US. I'll mail you a, a signed copy of my fasting book. So that is the ethical bribe for you to leave an honest rating and review. And you have a podcast coming up. Do you want to give it a quick, a quick mention or not yet? Uh, it's going to be so tune tune in the fall of 2020. Uh, we're going to be launching the Gut Smart podcast. Gut Smart. So stay tuned for that. And Dr. Pedre, thank you so much for your time today, brother. I appreciate you. Absolutely, man. I really hope you enjoyed that discussion with Dr. Vincent Pedre. Be sure to go get his book, Happy Gut. I'm going to put a link for you in the notes of this podcast and go listen to episode 127 with Vincent Pedre when he was first on the show where we talked about leaky gut, the immune system, that entire connection, which foods to avoid, which foods are better for you, and so much more. Go listen to that episode. We'll put a link for that as well down below. If you haven't listened to that, you got to do so. Go take a screenshot of this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast and post it on Instagram. Shoot me a tag, and when I see it, I'll share it at the Benazadi, at Keto Camp Official, and at Dr. Pedre to tag Dr. Pedre. 
please leave the show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to watch the video interview I did with Dr. Pedre, head over to youtube.com slash ketocamp and watch that live stream. I thank you so much for listening to the entire episode. You'll hear me on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.